So if you would, let's look together in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 21. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 21, and we'll read a few verses here together. Again, the message, if you were to title it today, would be striving or battling together. Striving together. Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 1 to the church at Philippi, he says, For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. But if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what or I know not. For I'm in a strait betwixt or between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So if you would skip on down to verse 27. Only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you would stand fast in one spirit with one mind, and notice this phrase right here, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that's what we want to talk about today. So you guys, it was really good yesterday. We had about 10 or 11 people gather together. We put our planning together. And then we come to the time at the end of our planning session, and we lay out the calendar. And if you haven't ever been through it before, it just starts getting pretty heavy pretty fast. So about, you know, maybe around 20 or 30 people trying to figure out how are we going to manage all these things that we want to do, and what does the Lord want us to do and not to do, and it can just kind of be like, oh, I don't think I can do it all. <laughs> and so we have to lay that and give that over to the Lord. And what was amazing yesterday was to see people trying to adjust their schedule and prayerfully and humbly allow some other people to pick and choose things so that we could work together to do the thing that we needed to accomplish. I'm going to tell you, that's kind of a small miracle. In some churches, people don't get along that well. And they can be really selfish, and they can be, this is how it's going to be. In our church, it was so awesome to see so many people, young to old, make a decision together, like, okay, this is the route that we want to go. We are striving to strive together. And what I want to push on you today a little bit is that we need to continue to battle together. We need to learn what it is to, as Michael's been sharing with us, to lock shields so I want to start a quote with today, and it goes so good with what Paul says in verse 21. And you've probably heard this quote a hundred times, but it's a great reminder about our lives. It's from William Wallace, and it is this. Every man dies, not every man really lives. Right? You guys like movies? Braveheart would probably be where you heard this from, right? This would also apply to women as well. This is not just a man thing, Okay. <laughs> Every man dies. We, again, in our class, even this morning, we began to discuss our Romans road. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Everybody here, everybody here is going to die. We like to push that aside, right? Some of us more than others, we want to put that in denial. We want to just focus on what am I having for dinner today and are the Colts going to win and <laughs> let's go this way, right? That's our today. 
But when it comes down to it, every now and then it kind of hits us that, whoa, there's going to be a time when this is going to end. Uh, even my dad this week, he's out. You know my dad, he's a fisherman. He loves to go crappie fishing. That's like his thing. He likes to fish for other stuff. My dad was out in a boat, and he's been having these kind of funny things with his heart. He was in a boat by himself, and he had one of these episodes. You can imagine Grandma Penn, what she thought about that, right? <laughs> she was not very happy. My dad got to the point he actually had to call a buddy to help him get the boat in. Like he had got it to land, but the boat buddy had to come in and help get the boat moved in. And I'm talking to my dad about different things, trying to get him to go to the doctor, right? Stubborn men sometimes don't do those things, right? And my dad's like saying basically this truth. Hey, when it's the time for me to go, the Lord's going to take me. And no matter how much grandma wants to stop it, she's not in charge of it. That still doesn't mean he shouldn't go to the doctor, right? But that truth rang out was my dad is wrestling with this truth as we get older, especially we really wrestle with it. My life, my time is going to come to an end, right? Have I really lived? That's what I want to challenge you with today. Are you going to look back at your life whenever it's time to go and you're going to be like, well, I spent most of my life in the grocery store and sleeping and with a whole lot of Netflix. Is that going to be your life? It's funny to say it out loud, but to look back, and if I made out a calendar and really it was this much, and I, am I going to be glad that that's how I live my days, right? Again, I want you to hear what Paul says. So to live is, and I kind of want to ask you that question this morning. What is it for you to live is, or you might say life is this. What would you say that, about that today? How would you finish that? Life is a Macy's credit card. Life is a 11-pound largemouth. Life is a tender uh, brisket with just the right bite. Right? We could go down the line. Whatever it is that is your thing today, right? To live is what? What is it about? What is the thing that like, oh, if I could have that, that would be life. That would be so good. What does Paul say it is? To live is Christ. <laughs> Whoa. Paul's been on some adventures. He's seen some pretty amazing things. And he says to live is Christ. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's kind of backwards, isn't it, right? No, no, no. We're supposed to be afraid of death. When you die, that's it. It's over. It's horrible. Why would we want to talk about that? Paul says, death is good. Death is an increase to me. Death is a better thing to me. Death means gain for me. Obviously, his mindset has changed, hasn't it, right? Something has happened to him where he could say that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Again, verse 22. If I'm to go on living in a body, this is fruitful labor for me. But what will I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Do you ever think like that? <laughs> Anybody ready to go? That was interesting in Donna's testimony, right? She had that thought at Christmas like, hey, if today was the day, now I'm good, right? I'm ready to go. Anybody so ready to go, you kind of ask the Lord, hey, would you go ahead and take me? We had this old uh, 
audio tape we used to listen to about a, a pretend church couple, and they were almost in this really bad car wreck, and one of the, the guy, he speaks up, he goes, Lord, I'm ready to go, but not today. That's probably most of us, isn't it, right? Lord, I'm ready to go, but don't take me today. <laughs> I don't want to go today. Did you hear what Paul said? I'm torn. I wouldn't mind going. How about that today? Are any of you ready to go? This is really interesting to me. It didn't happen to me until Wendy's Uncle Tim passed away about two years ago in spring. And I think that was the first time in my life where I felt like I got more people on that side of death that I'm getting where my heart is ready to be with them. Because Uncle Tim was probably the last person in my life that wasn't part of my immediate family that was like, oh boy, I'm going to miss him like crazy. What is, what is heaven for you? What is Christ for you? It's seeing loved ones that have already gone on, right? It is no more death. It is no more tears. It is no more grief. It is no more disease. It is no more sin. Anybody kind of ready for that? You ever watch the news and be like, I think I'm ready for that. You know what I'm saying? And Paul, 2,000 years ago, was saying the same thing. To live is Christ. That means I can do more for the Lord. But to die, that means I'm done with what I can do, and I can be with him. I can experience those things that he has poured in my heart. When we get to that place, we too can speak to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so again, I challenge you this morning, what does it mean to live for you? <clears throat> to live as Christ means that Christ is our focus, our goal, and our chief desire. Christ is the center point of our mind, our heart, our body, and soul, and that everything that we do is for Christ's glory. And I challenge you on this, and you guys, I had a hard time with this. You guys know most of my life I've been bivocational, okay? So when I started pastoring in southern Illinois, I didn't just go pastor a church full-time. I did technology in the school system. So I did Dell computers and Novell servers and teacher laptops, and we did printers and networking and grant writing and training, and that's what I did. I did that every day, and then on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and revivals and quarterly meetings, I was trying to pastor. And what I did for a long time was I was like, well, my stuff I did at school, that was just what I had to do. That really wasn't for the Lord's glory. But my stuff I did at church, well, that was for God's glory until the Lord corrected me. And he's like, no, the stuff you do at school, you need to be doing that for God's glory too, right? So my challenge to you today is to think of the things that you're doing in your life. Are you really doing them for the Lord? To live means an opportunity to serve, opportunity to please the master. To die is the end of the opportunity, but then the opportunity to be with the one who died for us. Paul's greater desire was to be with Jesus. So my challenge to you this morning, I want to ask you this, is are you there yet? I'm not even sure I'm there yet. The preacher should be, right? Are you so focused on the Lord that that is your main heart's desire? Uh, still, Paul was torn, and we should be too, right? Uh, when I was a little kid, I always thought about it this way. I knew the Lord was going to come back, and I heard the Lord was coming back. But I knew that my grandparents, especially my grandma and grandpa Penn, I knew they were not Christians, and they would tell you that they weren't Christians. And as a child, how do you think that made me view the Lord's return? God, I want you to come back, but don't come back yet. <laughs> right? Because I want my grandma pin and I want my grandpa pin. I want them to be saved before you come back. And that's Paul's mindset here. I want to go be with Christ, but I got so many other people that I want to reach. 
And that's a mature mindset for a Christian today. Lord, I want to go be with you, and I want to get out of this sinful world, but there's so many more people that I need to help. And so my message today for you is this. We want to contend for the faith of the gospel. Look what Paul says down in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul here is challenging this church. He's saying, I want you to walk in a worthy manner. How many of you today are worthy? Right? We had, again, Sunday school was kind of interesting this morning because Andrew said, um, well, then you, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't deserve grace. And I said, Andrew, the whole point of grace is that you can't deserve it, right? <laughs> and you could see the light bulb kind of click on. Oh, well, yeah, right? None of you today, the preacher especially, is not worthy of what the Lord has done. And Joni kind of expressed it to us this morning of all the things she gets so much more than she deserves, right? And that is a spiritual approach. That is a mature spiritual approach to the way that we should view life. But again here, what Paul is saying, you know what? I need you to walk in a worthy manner. That doesn't mean you are deserving, but you're going to walk in a way that respects the name which, you have, which has changed you. This morning, Jacob was walking through, and we were doing the chairs. We were taking chairs out of the back. We got voting here on Tuesday, election day. And so he was getting, helping get the chairs out, and he did a couple, and he was done. <sighs> I just can't do it anymore. I just can't do it. You know what I hit him with? I said, boy, your last name is Seitz. Right? Trying to invoke in him, you are this, and this is your identity, and this is what defines you. And I'm going to tell you, Michael will tell you today, a Seitz doesn't quit. And a sight serves and a sight helps. And I was trying to pound that into Jacob, right? In my family, it is, you're a pin. You know what the pin proverb is? He who catches cleans. Right? If you make the mess, you pick it up. If you take the responsibility, you better own it. You're a pin, right? Well, what is the message here? You're a Christian. You have the name of Christ, and if you had a jersey, that's what would be on the back of it. And you better live up to that through his power, not your own. You better walk worthy of the name that has changed you and saved you and delivered you. Amen? Right. It's not something I do in my own power, but I'm going to walk in that direction to please the Lord. So I challenge you this morning, are you walking worthy. In my devotions this week, it's been Hebrews. And so Hebrews chapter 2, I want to read you this real quick. It fits along with that same line of thinking. The author of Hebrews says, verse 1 of chapter 2, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, look what he says, how shall we escape? If we neglect or if we ignore so great salvation. Right? You guys hear the Lord today? Look, everybody within the sound of my voice, you know the gospel. Amen? God's a holy God. We are sinful human beings. God sent his own son to die for us. 
And if we would repent of our sins, receive Jesus in our hearts, God would transform us and save us, give us hope now and heaven as a future. You've got it. You've heard the message. How will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? The day comes and you die and it may be a car wreck and it may be cancer and it may just be old age and you go and you meet the Lord and you're going to, the Lord's going to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? And the answer should be that because I received Jesus Christ and I take upon what he has done for me. Not anything I have done, but I take what he did for me. And if you're like, well, I, don't know. I didn't really know about it, Lord. I didn't really know how it worked. Everybody sitting here today, you have no excuse. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. How shall we escape? We ignore or neglect so great a salvation. We should possess a growth that accompanies the life of a believer. We should not say stuck at level one, if you were. All right, so briefly, and we'll finish up here this morning, I want us to look at about four or five things here that Paul was looking for in the church at Philippi, and I want to see in our church here today. And they're right out of this passage. The first thing, Paul was looking for a group of people who were standing firm. They were standing firm. Are you holding your ground or are you straddling the fence? Are you a fence straddler? What happens to people who straddle fences? It's not pretty, is it? <laughs> right? Uh, Michael has done, again, just such a great job and remind us when we talk about our armor in Ephesians chapter 6 and we lock shields, the scripture says, stand firm. And basically, it's an offensive and an aggressive posture saying, we are not going to release the ground that we have taken. Amen? As a church, we need to do that same thing. We have decided that we're going to strive for unity, that we're going to strive to serve the needy, that we're going to try to lift the name of Jesus, and we're going to do our best to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel that we have been called. And so we are going to stand firm. We are going to hold that line. And I want to challenge you today to be a group of people that, that makes that decision. Because the world is going to try to push back on that line, aren't they, right? Hello? Well, there's other ways to heaven besides Jesus, right? Isn't that right? You can't be that, that closed-minded, can you? Well, I don't, right? Stand firm. Those things that you know are true, the virgin birth, the inerrancy of the scriptures, the substitutionary, uh, substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the death and the literal burial and resurrection of our Lord. These truths, we don't bend on them. We stand firm. The next thing he says, I want you to stand firm, but I want you to stand in one spirit. Again, it was so good yesterday to see this group of people working together and making concessions and listening to each other and trying to make the best decisions that we could stand together in the same spirit. It wasn't about my way or your way. It was about trying to do what the Lord would have us to do and follow his leading. And I would say this morning, we cannot say this enough. Hear, hear the Lord today, and I think this is directly from the Lord today. It's not about how we define success. It's about how God defines obedience. Let that soak in for a second today. It's not about how we define success. It's about how God defines obedience. That's the expectation. That's the expectation for you personally this week. Well, Lord, I think it'd be awesome if we just had, you know, 100, 200, 300 people here. That would, be, and that would be awesome, right? Nothing wrong with that. But if that's just how we're defining success, we need to make sure, well, how's the Lord defining obedience? 
In your own life, it's the same thing, right? What is a win for you this week? What is success for you this week? What's it look like? What it ought to be is that I'm going to do exactly what the Spirit of God leads me to do this week. That is standing together, standing in one spirit. We must stand in one spirit. The next thing he says is that we would contend together for the faith of the gospel. Contending or striving or battling, however you want to define it, we need to fight together. Now, sometimes in families, we fight against each other. Does that ever happen? <laughs> oh, boy. I wish my brother Corey was here today because he would give you the other story, the other side. Oh, I can give this my side of the story, right? Now, I was the very much self-righteous oldest brother, okay? And I tried to make sure people towed the line, especially my brother Corey, who was four years younger than me, and my little brother Tyler, who was eight years younger than me. Now, usually he was so young that I didn't have to mess with him much. Corey would beat up on Tyler, but I would beat up on Corey. And one day, Corey was out and around, and he said something, and I was sure, and I, he, he denies it completely to this day, but I was sure that he was taking the Lord's name in vain, and he said some words that he should not have said. And so I laid into him, you need to tell the truth, you need to say, I didn't, rah, 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 rah. well, the next thing you know, I have my middle brother, and I have thrown him on the ground, this is how really self-righteous people work, right? And I was over the top of him. And I was pushing on him to confess until my mom came out and separated the mess, right? Okay. Hmm. Did families ever fight? Yeah, right. Watch David and Jacob go out if you need some entertainment sometime, right? How about the church families? Do church families ever fight? Sometimes they do, don't they, right? And we have to be reminded of these truths that we are to contend, that we are to battle not with each other, right, but for the sake of the gospel. Now, what is always interesting, usually in families, is when somebody from the outside attacks one of the family members, what happens? I could say all kinds of bad things about my brother, but you have no right. Look out, buddy. Amen? And in our church family, it should be the same, isn't it, right? We should have each other's back. Somebody comes saying something negative about Nick or Melissa or about Todd or Donna or about Miss Kay back there. Uh-uh. We're going to take a stand for them, right? Not, you're not talking about my church family like that. We need to have each other's back, especially not just that we are with each other, but that we are fighting for the same thing. And the thing that Paul mentions here is that we should strive for the faith of the gospel. How can I say this as clear as possible? There's a lot of things we can fight for in this world. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we should fight for the gospel. Hear the Lord today. We can get caught up in a lot of things. We can do all kinds of boycotts and have all kinds of opinions and put out banners and bumper stickers and postcards. We need to fight for the gospel because that's what the world needs, right? They need Jesus they need to know he was virgin born, that he lived a perfect life, that he was crucified, risen, and coming again. And I want to challenge you with this with all sincerity this morning. For this, we should be willing to fight and even die. This should be the core of our identity. Next Sunday, we're going to look at some people who are literally suffering and some are even dying because they're holding to the truth of the gospel. Not a person in here probably will face that, right? You at work, you might get laughed at. You might 
lose a job promotion. You might not get a job because you say, I'm a Christ follower and I love Jesus. But most of us here, right now at least, none of us here are going to face physical beating or death because we make that confession. But Paul did face physical beating and death. And it wasn't just 2,000 years ago. In the year 2019, there are people on the planet who, confessing Christ, are facing the threat of suffering and death. And they're saying, Jesus is more. To live is Christ. To die is gain. We should strive for the faith of the gospel. And the final thing, and it fits right with that, he says, I want you to contend without being frightened by the fear of suffering. This is available to the believer. It only comes through a practical dependence upon the Lord and his spirit. We don't have to be afraid. And what's so amazing when I can talk to some of my friends in India now, and I know what they're facing, and yet they're so emboldened to share the gospel. I can see how the Lord empowers them to not be afraid as they live a life for Christ. Finally, in this passage, Paul says that God has gifted us not just that we would know him, not just that we would believe, but also that we would suffer. We don't like to talk about that too much, do we? <laughs> right? Oh, it's a wonderful thing that God helps us have the faith that we could know him through his son Jesus. But also, Paul says, God didn't only gift you to have faith. God also gifted you to suffer. So you'll understand what Jesus went through. You'll understand what I've gone through. And this is going to come its way, but you can do this without being frightened. You can do this with support and with strength. John Venn, he was a British social reformer. He once lamented about a drawback of entering heaven, and that this drawback would be that there would be a lost opportunity to do good. I want to close with this this morning. We're going to have a quick message, but I want you to hear this today. He said this. He said, there will be no sick to visit. There will be no naked to clothe. There will be no afflicted to relieve. There will be no weak to succor. There will be no faint to encourage nor corrupt to rebuke or profligate to reclaim. Here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. If we are going to serve, we need to strive together now. You hear the Lord today? I love you guys. I hope that we're all here in 10 years still. But chances are all of us won't still be here 10 years, will we? So we need to take advantage of the opportunity to serve. We need to strive together now. If we're going to share the gospel, we need to strive together when? Right now. In 10 years, the Lord may take you on to heaven. By the way, it could be tomorrow. And there will be no more lost to reach. It'll be about what you did in the now and today, right? If we are going to love, <laughs> we need to strive together when? Now, we need to contend together now. You guys, we have a lot in front of us this year if the Lord will allow it, but we can accomplish great things through the Lord's power if we will continue to strive together. But we need to do it now, All right? Here's my encouragement to you today. I want to do something just a little bit different than we normally do, and not everybody has to. If you are uncomfortable, you don't have to do this. But I would like for everybody who would just to come down front, and we're going to stand up, all of us stand up together, and I would like for us to pray together. So let's do that at this time, if you guys would come now.